all of us. Everyone at the state's academic medical center. All working together to deliver complete care now and for generations to come. All over the state, including hospital and clinic locations from the Delta to the Gulf Coast. All for one reason, you. The University of Mississippi Medical Center. All for your health. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. This is the program where you can call in with any kind of health complaint or um, thing that you just need a question answered about. We're going to try to do our best to answer those on the air. Uh, but also, um, you know, maybe it's just a, a clarification of things. Sometimes we point people in the direction. It takes a little bit more. Sometimes, you know, we can't quite get all, to all the issues on the air. But we do try to point you in the right direction. The number to call if you have a question, it can be about yourself or maybe somebody else uh, that's in your family, is one eight seven seven mpb ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or if you can't call in and you do have a question or a comment, please send us an email. We try to get to those fairly quickly, and we also address some of those and share uh, some of those um, questions on the air to our larger audience. Uh, the email address is remedy at mpbonline.org. You can also go to mpbonline.org and look at previous broadcasts. We try to archive those again fairly quickly after they air. Uh, if you didn't quite catch a whole program or maybe came in a little bit late, <clears throat> as you're listening, you might want to go to mpbonline.org to listen to those. Hope everybody is having a great day so far in this sort of pattern of rain, no rain, rain, no rain. We get little teases of spring out there, uh, but some cold, wet weather as well. A uh, lot of questions that we're getting in the clinic People calling me, texting me, and saying, hey, I really want to know more about this coronavirus. What do we know? And still, we are learning more. It's uh, been sort of a slow process. But uh, the the main organization, at least in the United States, that's looking at this is the Center for Disease Control, the CDC. And they are working in conjunction with other countries, and particularly the World Health Organization, to try to contain, but also to look at exactly what's going on, how can we combat this. There's a lot of little small trials going on, anything from uh, everything from, from treating known cases, particularly the more severe cases, uh, with known antiviral agents, particularly those uh, both against flu and actually HIV, too, I saw in one small trial. So it's it, it, there's a lot of different research going on right there. Things to know right now, it now looks like eventually this may come to the United States. Don't want to create a lot of panic, but you just need to know about that. A coronavirus is uh, its not a drink that you might get on the weekend, uh, but it is a, a family of viruses that have been around for a long time. This is a novel or different type of coronavirus. Coronaviruses in the past have been attributable to a large number of common colds, particularly during the winter months, uh, up to 20%, maybe even higher in some small pockets. Uh, They, like the flu virus, uh, they can reside within animal populations. And every once in a while, you'll get the same kind of 
sort of change or mutation in those viruses over time that can cause problems. In the past, there were two big problems with coronavirus other than just the the normal um, um, flu-like symptoms or cold-like symptoms, rather. And one was called SARS, so that's severe uh, um, acute respiratory syndrome. And then another is MERS, which is uh, a little bit akin to that, but it's a little bit different. MERS uh, sort of originated in the Middle East, and then SARS is uh, also caused by coronavirus. Those are a little bit different. This is definitely different than that. It seems to be a little bit worse in effect than SARS. Uh, But certainly in the scope of things, if you look at, you know, every year we have thousands, tens of thousands of people who are uh, severely affected or die from flu uh, just in the United States. So just to put it in that perspective, now what can you do? It Person-to-person contact is going to be the main way that we know that this is spread. So that's close contact with other people. So, you know, what's close contact? Anywhere from two to six feet. It can be uh, transmittable through respiratory droplets. So if somebody sneezes or coughs and you're within that six-foot radius of them, uh, you could pick up those particles, breathe in those particles, and then, uh, and then be exposed to that and have an infection. Or those particles uh, can be on surfaces, and we don't know exactly how long that might be. Some people, I've seen some things out there say, well, it'll stay on those surfaces nine days. That is very unlikely. There's not too many things that can do that, particularly that are viruses in this category, just because of the way that they're uh, put together. Um, So it is possible, but mainly it's from that direct contact with people. It would have to be pretty soon after they they, uh, leave those respiratory droplets on things. So if you have anybody with with cold-like symptoms and a fever, uh, particularly if they've traveled to areas that that are known areas right now of coronavirus, those are going to be people that you want to, you know, stay away from. Uh, they, if you if you talk to anybody and they have those kind of symptoms, they need to be checked out by their physician. Uh, you know, common cold. A lot of people would just stay home, and that's fine. You don't necessarily need to go to your physician unless you have other medical problems. But uh, if you do, if you've been exposed to somebody that's had travel, particularly to China and Asia and some of the places that have more cases right now. Um, then you might want to see a physician a little bit earlier. It appears that the sickest people are people who have other chronic medical conditions like hypertension, chronic kidney disease, uh, diabetes. These would all be uh, heart disease, particularly chronic kidney disease and heart disease. Uh, And that goes with just about anything. You can have common viral infections, and if you do have those chronic diseases, you are more um, uh, at risk to have uh, some of the uh, more dangerous side effects. So keep that in mind. That's what we know right now. Again, a lot more people with the flu out there that are coming down with it. So uh, just to keep things in a little bit of a perspective, we probably will have more coronavirus infections in the United States, but we'll try to keep you up to date here on Southern Remedy as we get more information. If you want to check those out, uh, that data out in more detail, the uh, Center for Disease Control at cdc.gov, G-O-V, is their website, and they have, you can go right to coronavirus, and they give almost daily uh, updates on that. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy here with you. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Janice. Good morning, Janice. Good morning. Thank you for calling. From Nesbitt, is that right? That's correct. Uh, my, my uncle used to live in Nesbitt. Beautiful place. Right. <laughs> What's your... I, appro- 
I appear to be going down the road of eventual knee replacements. I've already started some uh, processes in the interim, but I've heard about stem cell therapy, and I have not talked to a doctor about that, but I was just wondering, are there any side effects or anything I need to look out for if I consider stem cell for my knees? And I don't know too much about that because you're getting on the fringes of, you know, research. Uh, So stem cells, there's a misconception about what stem cells are. Stem cells are, uh, the fancy name is pluripotent, which means that they can do many different things. So stem cells is what everybody starts off with uh, in development. And um, they can become just about any kind of tissue under the right circumstances and right influences of the environment. Um, when they're around other cells, other adult differentiated cells, they tend to become some of those things. So the thought process is if you can inject stem cells into the joint space, uh, if you have a condition like that has a decrease in the uh, sort of wear and tear on the cartilage, which is coating the surfaces of those bones and helps them to slide over one another um, um, without causing a lot of grating, um, if you don't have a lot of that, that if you inject stem cells in there, that that's going to, they're going to, some of those cells are going to set up shop on those damaged areas and then uh, differentiate into those chondrocytes that produce cartilage. Still a lot of research on that. And there's not, you know, it's, again, it's mainly, honestly, for people who have very mild disease that they may benefit the best, but I'm not aware of any kind of, you know, larger studies for that. It is likely to be expensive your insurance may or may not pay for that just because unless it's in a trial that's paying for it themselves. Uh, you definitely want to go to a place, uh, a surgeon who is doing that. Um, I would not, if it's not an orthopedic surgeon, they're probably not as reputable. Uh, even if they say, hey, I've cured a lot of people, that I would be wary of that because that's the way a lot of uh, unethical practices are done in uh, with stem cells these days. Um, but as, as far as side effects, too, you can have, you know, local injection into the knee. Anytime you get that, no matter what you're putting in there, infection is probably the highest thing on the list. Uh, just because you're injecting something into that, you're, you're putting a foreign body into that joint space. Uh, there may be some other, you know, systemic side effects with stem cells, but generally people do pretty well with those. But Janice, I would look at all your options. You're probably trying to stave off um the you know surgery which i, I would right. i would uh you know recommend that to anybody but there may be other things too you may have already tried those there's a lot of other there's synvisc there's a lot of other substances that you can inject into the joint space that can help at least with the pain sometimes um but you you might want to check out that first but i don't have a whole lot of info or know of individuals that are doing stem cell research but i would make sure that it's a reputable you know, if it's if it's one of the bigger trials, they're probably going to be at an academic institution that's doing that, or have a track record of you know a a, um, um, a lot of different ways to to address knee pain due to osteoarthritis. Okay, I appreciate it. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. Knees wear out over time. Every kind of joint does. I was talking with a couple of patients this morning about that, about some thumb pain. And uh, lot, lots of things you can maybe do to prevent that. But as we get older, things do wear out. 
I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Deep South Dining is the show all about the culture of Southern flavor. From fried chicken and collard greens to shrimp and grits and a glass of sweet tea. Subscribe now to the podcast using any podcast app or download our MPB public media app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. I'm Dr. Jimmy with you this morning, answering your questions about your health or the health of others. Maybe you have some questions about a new medication or maybe it's a different therapy. We just had a great question about uh, stem cell therapy for knee osteoarthritis and a lot of different things that are being looked at with that anti-inflammatory medications and substances. I actually just glanced at a couple of different references in the break and uh, 12 different things that I saw that have been looked at or continuing to be looked at. So you want to, anytime you're dealing with that, you're trying to avoid surgery, make sure that you're going to see somebody who has a lot of experience in that uh, um, uh, with knee osteoarthritis. And uh, that's either going to be a an orthopedic surgeon who particularly specializes in the knee, but that may be the only thing that they do. Um, or uh, a rheumatologist is another person that specializes in joints, Uh, So those are the two big specialties to do that. The number to call today if you have a question about anything is 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Let's go to Renee in Utica. Good morning, Renee. Good morning there. Uh, With the drug, I believe it's called uh, Clopidogrel, Uh 75 milligrams. Also called Plavix. Okay, Plavix. Yeah, yeah that's okay. the generic that you said, Clopidogrel. You can say it better than I can say it. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> Let's go with Plavix because that's uh, that's easier for me to say. So I'm sorry I interrupted you. Go ahead. Okay. Is it necessary to watch your vitamin K intake with this one? Not with that one. So you're uh, so it, it, it is a blood thinner type drug. So most of the time, uh, Clopidogrel or Plavix, there I got it out, uh, is uh, used if you need to have a blood thinner and maybe you've had a stroke, maybe you've had a stent placed in your heart. So those are the two two big areas that people take that. And it interferes with platelets sticking together. Uh, so it's that's the main pathway that it, it uses. Now, the one that a lot of other people take, which is Coumadin or Warfarin, is another name for that one. That one inhibits the clotting mechanism in the body, and it does it by interfering with vitamin K synthesis. So, Renee, you, you'd mentioned, you know, do I need to cut back? Actually, with Clopidogrel, uh, you can eat whatever you want, so it's not going to really affect anything. There are some over-the-counter um, uh, substances um, uh, that you can take, uh, particularly herbal remedies for things that might also interfere with platelets. Um, and uh, uh, ginkgo is one that's coming to mind uh, right off the top of my mind. But there's other things, too. It's always good to have your pharmacist look over things and say, hey, am I taking anything that's going to interfere with my other medications? 
But in your case, you can eat all if the, if you're not taking anything else, you know, besides besides that for for blood clotting, maybe an aspirin too. Uh, it's okay to eat all the greens or anything else that has vitamin K in it. All right, thank you. All right, thanks for calling. Yeah, lots of different things we use, and, and it's for different reasons. People may not understand that, too. They may think, okay, well, if I have one blood thinner, can I just substitute any blood thinner for that? And really, it, the, the clotting pathway, it's, it's really complex. There's a lot of different things that go into that. There's lots of different substances that go into the clotting pathway, and then also platelet aggregation. Uh, if you have clots in the veins versus arteries, uh, there's different things that we use to treat those. So there may be a very good reason why your physician wants you to take a particular anti-clotting uh, uh, drug. Uh, but there are some advantages and disadvantages to a lot of those. So uh, great question uh, about that. Let's go to Georgia, who's in Hattiesburg. Good morning, Georgia. Good morning. What's your question this morning? Yes, I have leg cramps early in the morning Mm -hmm. about an hour before I wake up in the morning they kind of start in the ankles and they're very severe did they Georgia did they happen at night too have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with those or is it mostly just in the morning occasionally but that's rare it's mostly just before I wake up yeah uh, do you also have, uh, do your legs, do you feel like you can't stay stay still at night? Like if you're going to sleep, do you move your legs around or ever have to wake up and walk the, around? The restless legs uh-huh. type, rarely. Okay, okay, that's good to know. Uh, so a couple of things that this might be. Um, I was asking questions around uh, restless leg syndrome, which is a common uh, parasomnia, so it's a it's something that happens around sleep. Uh, it it is sort of in the brain that the brain does different things to help you get through sleep and have uh, you know sort of shut the uh, 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 the processes down that it needs to shut down and activate things in the brain. Uh, it's treated a little bit differently than other things, which is why I was trying to tease that out. There are a lot of different uh, reasons that you might have leg cramps. Um, vitamin deficiencies and electrolyte deficiencies might cause that. So magnesium sometimes if it's low, potassium if it's low, uh, disorders of, a, of calcium can sometimes do that. But if all those are normal, um, there's, there are, you know, there's some other things within the muscle itself. Now, without having any other symptoms, if it's just the cramping, there's not a whole lot of more serious things that I would worry about. Now, that doesn't help you, Georgia, because it's, you know, extremely painful in some cases and just a nuisance when you want to get up and and get going. But I, have you brought that to your physician or your primary care provider just to say, hey, have you checked anything blood work wise or anything like that? Not other than a passing reference. I do mm-hmm. take a magnesium supplement. Oh, okay. Okay. I take 500 milligrams. Did you, can you think back, did it make a difference in in taking that? Can you see any kind of difference? Well, I actually took it for chronic constipation, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but it's possible that it's, I think this is more common since I've been taking that. Gotcha. Okay. But I can't exactly pinpoint. Yeah. Um, and are you on any other 
kind of medications right now, like particularly cholesterol medications? No. Okay. Uh, has anybody checked your vitamin D level? D is in dog. Not unless it was checked in a routine gotcha. blood test. Okay. And again, those are all things that might be playing into this to cause the cramping. Um, I'd go back. I'd just, I would mention it to your doctor. Don't think that this is anything that's, you know, too small to ask because mm-hmm. as I said, it can drive you crazy if you're not, you know, if you got the, the cramps early in the morning and it may be a symptom of something else that's happening that they need to look at. Um, I, I, if I were seeing you in the office, I would probably get a basic lab uh, blood test that, uh, you know, can look at these different things like your potassium and your calcium uh, probably would check another magnesium level just to see where it is, and maybe even a vitamin D level too. Sometimes vitamin D deficiency can present in in weird, different ways. Most of the time, most people don't know that they're vitamin D deficient. Um, uh, so uh, lots of other things that it might be. If if you have muscle soreness with that, that you uh, they you know they may want to check some enzymes related to the muscle function um, and and breakdown. But if you if it's just the cramping part, then that's they may not you know need to do that. Mm-hmm. And well, the, the the other advice. Oh yeah, the other thing is activity for a lot of people does help this. So the more you can get up and get around, even if you're not weight bearing, you can just move your feet back and forth, um, and knowing how to stretch it out. Uh, if it's on your in your calves, uh, you don't want to point your toes down. You want to pull them back. So it's, you know, that's that's a, something sometimes people are like, ah, I'm pointing my toes and it's not going away. Well, you know, and, and you may have to have something by the bedside like a towel. Maybe you sort of throw that over and use that to pull your toes back. Um, but uh, just gently, you don't have to be, you know, really um, forceful with that. But I would I would have them check out those labs first just to make sure there's not any kind of other problem that's going on. Well, thank you. I will do that. But I, I have already determined that pointing the toes makes it worse. Exactly. So you already knew that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I want to pull those toes back. All right, Georgia, well, good luck to you on that. Thank you. Okay, thank you for calling. This is Southern Remedy. Uh, Dr. Jimmy with you this morning. Uh, the number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 7464 used to, you know, we used to give this all the time when I was in training uh, at the VA in particular is quinine. And there's still a lot of people on that. Now, quinine is an old medication uh, that uh, it's, it was used to treat malaria in the past, but also it was used for muscle cramps and veterans, uh, my veteran patients that I was treating back then, they would swear by it. They would like, yeah, that worked for me. Don't take it away no matter what. Uh, but there's a lot of other things out there, a lot of over-the-counter remedies for that, you know, a lot of different herbal remedies. Um, I have found that you know, massaging it too can help uh, or moving it around. But some of those old simple things are some of the best ones. Even if you have it on a daily basis, that might help. Um, a lot of different returning to that, uh, particularly if you go to see a physical therapist, they may identify some things that might be causing some muscle strain and in areas and different ways that you didn't know about. Uh, so I had, you know, we've gotten a lot of rain lately, a lot of, uh, 
uh, the sun missing from our day. And what does that do to people? A lot of people say they feel worse when the sun's not out. That's a real thing. Uh, we don't have as much, thankfully, in the south just because we have more sunlight. But if you're up north in particular, you can have something called seasonal affective disorder. So uh, these are this sort of manifest as symptoms of fatigue and depression. Uh, you may even have sort of de- depressive-like symptoms like hopelessness, uh, social withdrawal. You can have mood swings with this and anxiety. Uh, just really don't want to do much of anything, anything besides sleep. And a lot of the reasons for this is because our brains are activated. We actually have cells in the back of our eye and the retina that go straight to the center in the brain that helps to activate wakefulness and sleep. So that when we get light, particularly the natural wavelengths of light, sort of the bluish light uh, wavelengths that the sun normally produces, we wake up. Uh, And then when that uh, dims or we have the absence of light, our brains uh, normally tell us to go to sleep. And you can have disorders of this for a number of reasons. Length of day is a big one. Uh, And uh, there's a a real simple therapy for this. I say simple. It requires, you know, a device. But light therapy can help. And uh, it's not a new thing. This has been around since the 40s or 50s. Uh, for a lot of people to help their mood. But for people with diagnosed seasonal affective disorder, you can, uh, you know, you can get a light that has those wavelengths and pointing at your face. And if you get it for, you know, say 30 minutes to a couple hours a day, then you can uh, decrease those symptoms. So it is a real thing. Again, a lot of people get this. I had a friend of mine that lived in Alaska for a long time. And, you know, of course, the higher latitudes you get, the less sunlight that you get um, uh, during the winter months. So it's uh, certainly a real thing, something that you can treat. Thankfully, we're getting more sunlight, uh, I hope, uh, in this rain pattern. But it's still uh, it's still a thing that you can uh, uh, sort of struggle through. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. contractor ever tell you the price of something and it sounds so high you think "Eh, maybe i'll try it myself some jobs just aren't that difficult and yes you can do it if you want to find out how to do those things listen to fix it 101 podcast everywhere this is an mpb think radio podcast This is Dr. Jimmy on Southern Remedy here on MPB Think Radio and taking your calls today. Great questions, as always. We really love the fact, I love the fact, I hope you do too, that, uh, you know, our our programming on Wednesdays, we sort of open that up to everybody with medical problems and uh, really can get the word out. If you think that you are the only one with that question out there, I guarantee there's at least five other people that are probably listening that say, yep, that's me. That helped me because we get feedback like that all the time, either on the air or by email. So give us a call today if you have questions, one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Let's go to Diane in Ocean Springs. Good morning, Diane. Oh, good morning. The lady was talking about leg cramps. Yeah. 
my issue with leg cramps is that when I drink sweet tea, the cold sweet tea, I always get cramps really, really, really bad. Mm-hmm. And if I drink, you know, the cold drinks like Coke or whatever, I don't have as much problem, but it can be. Is it the caffeine or is it the acid? What could it be? Uh, yeah, it could be a number of things, but caffeine is probably the most likely culprit, and it may have to do with fluid shifts within those mus- in the muscle fibers. So that's the theory. There's not a whole lot of... Uh, you know, exact evidence in that. But I have heard that from patients that it's certain things that they can drink. Uh, but caffeine, remember, caffeine is a diuretic. It's a weak diuretic, but in a diuretic just means that you're going to produce more urine. So it, uh, the, the substance caffeine is going to make you lose more fluids in your urine uh, over time. That's why it's probably not in particularly in large numbers that a lot of people drink it at in a good idea if you're already at risk for dehydration, particularly in hot, uh, you know, hot environments. In the summertime, uh, this is more pronounced, of course, just because we lose more water. And you don't even have to be drinking anything to have that happen with muscle cramps. That's probably the most common uh, cause, I should have said earlier, of muscle cramps, cramps across the board is dehydration. Uh, didn't sound like that what we were dealing with. But, Diane, that may be the caffeine in it. You may want to you know, sort of modulate that or pre-drink, you know, just uh, pre-hydrate before you drink it with a lot of water. Okay. I appreciate it. Thank y- you. Yes, ma'am. Can't do without our tea here in the South. So I thought I'd throw that in. Like that's, that's a line in the sand for a lot of people. Let's go to Dennis. Good morning, Dennis. Yes. Good morning. Uh, what's your question this morning? Uh, my wife has uh, a on both of her, of her feet, she has not, like, uh, I don't know if she has her bone spurs or, uh, uh, and uh, they hurt when she walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so bone spurs or heel spurs are fairly common thing that, uh, so it's hind foot pain, right? So it's the back part of your, of your heel. It can be in a couple of different places. You can have it on the bottom, and that's probably what you're describing in your wife, that it hurts when she walks on it. it people will describe this as a, like a needle that's sticking into the bottom of their foot. The other place you can have it is on the back side of your heel, and that's usually that's more related to the tendon that called the Achilles tendon that inserts there. You can have tendonitis there. You can have apophysitis. You can have uh, gout can sometimes flare up in and around this area. But one of the more common things is sort of the bone spur that goes along with plantar fasciitis. And usually that's diagnosed just by on symptoms alone. I can usually tease out, you know, who has it. But it's, it's a sharp pain on the bottom of the foot, usually worse as soon as they get out of bed and they, they put weight on it for the first time in the morning. It usually gets better throughout the day. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it, uh, it's not worse when you walk on it. It can be associated with increased weight gain or if you have a lot of weight on board just because it puts more pressure there. And the fascia, uh, which is really the, the soft tissue that helps give your foot sort of a springiness to it, that arch in your foot is, is um, uh, supported by that fascia. Sometimes you can have an inflammation in that just because it's pulling right where that bone spur is. 
Um, there are some, if, if she hasn't gone to physical therapy, I would, it's an easy physical therapy visit. They can give you what you need. Uh, they may, uh, recommend some heel inserts. Uh, there are certain kinds of shoes that she probably doesn't need to wear, particularly high heel shoes that shorten that plantar fascia. And then when you put, you know, take those shoes off and put weight on it, it can, it can really hurt bad, but stretching it can help. Ice can help to the area. And then if that, as a last resort, a lot of times I, I, you know, surgery, I'm told by my orthopedic surgery friends is probably one of those last resort kinds of things. They can inject that, which sounds terrible if you're already having pain there, but in a lot of ways it can decrease the inflammation. But that's probably what it is. It's one of the more common things, but I would get somebody to take a look at it and just make sure. All All right. Thank you, Dennis. All right, let's see. Let's go to um, Sarah in Memphis. Good morning, Sarah. Hi there. I think that everything you said about cramps in the extremities makes perfect sense. I just wanted to add what worked really well for me. I was having cramps in my feet when I went to bed at night, mm-hmm. and uh, or more so when I woke up. And through the process of elimination, I discovered that I was, it only happened when I was eating things that were fairly high in sugar within Mm -hmm. about three hours of bedtime. But I also noticed that I would get cramps in my my feet and especially in my toes during the day or any time if I ate lactose or any kind of dairy, dairy sugar. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once I eliminated dairy, that just all went completely away. Yeah, food diaries, in particular, paying attention to what you drink to, uh, are can be helpful with a number of conditions. You wouldn't necessarily think, okay, I'm having cramping. Maybe I need to pay attention to what I'm eating or drinking, uh, that that would be correlated. But it is useful. Um, you know, they, they uh, other things like migraine headaches, we do that all the time with headache diaries and things like that. Uh, or GI, you know, if you're having actual GI symptoms. But yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. There's lots of different reasons why individuals may have that. And uh, again, the thought is if you have fluid shifts within the muscle itself or there's certain substances that may cause cramping locally at the muscle level, um, then then that might be the culprit. Sounds like you've eliminated that or identified it at least and tried to eliminate it. Um, and that may be a first step for some people just to know what the circumstances are around it. So in the medical world, you know, we, we call it uh, the initial thing that somebody comes to us with is a chief complaint. So that's the thing that they're, that's going on right now. And then we start to ask questions to try to see what the setting is. So a lot of the questions we ask is, is there anything that makes it better? Is there anything that makes it worse? Uh, where is the pain located? What's the quality of the pain? What's the, the try to quantify the pain and severity? Does it go anywhere? Does it stay where it is? Are there other, you know, uh, exacerbating factors or, or things that are associated with associated symptoms? So all these things help to sort of narrow it down. But you can do that, too. You can be your own sort of uh, adjunct doctor uh, by paying close attention, as Sarah said, to, you know, sort of the things that you eat. And a lot of people will identify that. So thanks for sharing that. That's really good. Uh, yeah. I had not heard it about lactose. I have heard it about, about sugar, particularly in people who have diabetes, but, you know, you can certainly have that without. Um, but just trying to figure that out beforehand before you go down a long road of taking medications and maybe much simpler just to uh, at least decrease or do without some right. of that stuff. absolutely. Yep. All right. Thank you, Sarah. Thank you. All right. Have a good day.
This is Southern Remedy. The number to call is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send us an email to remedy at mpbonline dot org. Let's go to Jerome in Corinth. Good morning, Jerome. Oh, are you there, Jerome? Did we lose you? All right, I think we lost you. So we're going to call back if uh, if we uh, if you can uh, with that call. I think we've got. Uh, another caller waiting, V, who is from Waynesboro. Did I get that right, V? Yes, thank All right. you. You're welcome. You're welcome. Speak about uh, Lipitor, the yeah. uh, benefits, um, the side effects, and um, hypothyroidism. Is okay. there any uh, interaction, please? Sure. So Lipitor, or the, the long fancy name for it, is a torvastatin. Uh, it is in the, the family of cholesterol medications called statins, or HMG-CoA reductase inhibitors. So they help to uh, decrease certain parts of cholesterol, particularly the bad cholesterol, which uh, the, the worst, sort of the worst indicator of high cholesterol is LDL. I tell patients it's easy to remember L for lousy. Uh, there's good cholesterol too. HDL is good, and I say that's healthy. Um, so you got your healthy and lousy cholesterol levels. But these days, it's a lot more complicated because what we really want to do is not so much lower the cholesterol. We do want to do that. We are interested in that and, and how much we lower it. But we also want to reduce your risk of heart of heart attacks and strokes and peripheral vascular disease. And we know that there are various risk factors. Uh, for that, like hypertension, diabetes, um, age. Of course, as we get older, we're more likely to do that. Male and female, there's a little bit more risk there. Uh, smoking, certainly all those things are big risk factors for that. If your risk, if your if your risk of that, and there's an equation that we put all these in, is high enough, then uh, it may mean that a, a statin, particularly a torvastatin and um and and Crestor is another one. Both of those may decrease your risk of having a heart attack or a stroke. Um, now they are very effective medications. They have a very it's easy to predict by the dose that you take how low that cholesterol is going to go, that LDL is going to go. Uh, and there's different situations where we may want to use different um, different strengths of those medications. The biggest side effect that people um, complain about is muscle cramps or muscle aches or myalgias. So let's say my muscles just hurt, particularly if I do something vigorous, like I go outside, I'm working in my garden, and then I've just got these terrible muscle aches afterwards. And um, that is really limited when you take the medication. There have been all kinds of different variations for taking it. Some people even take it every other day. Um but there's uh, it, just because you have it with one type of statin like Lipitor doesn't mean you're going to have it with another. So oftentimes you can switch. And there's a couple of others, too, that aren't quite as good as lowering the risk of heart attack and stroke, at least by the trials that we have and the evidence that we have to date. But um, but if you do have, you know, if you can't tolerate Lipitor and Crestor, you might want to try one of those. Um, as far as interactions with hypothyroidism, I'm not aware. Now, if you go and look on either the Internet or the, you know, uh, commercials, there's a ton of stuff out there that's anti-Lipitor and Crestor. Um, 
the, the really the biggest thing is you know uh, e- even even some of the older things that we used to do when we started somebody on this like checking liver enzymes periodically we know we that's not a, as big a risk and you can really predict uh, the patients are going to have a bigger risk for that so the the biggest risk is having those muscle aches and pains uh, if you have that there may be some other alternatives that you can take for it but really powerful medications that can that can significantly decrease your risk of heart attack and stroke. And I'm not aware, I have plenty of patients that are on Lipitor and also have hypothyroidism uh, and thyroid dysfunction, and they're on thyroid medications, not really an interaction there. Of course, if you're taking thyroid hormone, you do want to not take that thyroid hormone at the same time that you take other medications because it might interfere with your absorption of that, but that doesn't really have to do with, you know, once it gets in the body. So... Does that answer those questions, V? Yes. Would you speak on memory? Does it affect memory? So there have been some small studies that showed a memory loss, uh, mainly short-term memory loss. And those, if it's profound enough to where you have to stop the medication, all of those are seem to be reversible. So, again, it's sort of like those muscle aches and pain. Some people say, well, I just can't quite remember things the way I used to after starting this. And then we'll stop it, and then the memory comes right back. So, uh, just be aware of that and tell your physician, you know, hey, I think I'm having that, and there's some other alternatives. Sure. Uh, 50 milligrams was suggested. Uh, that, so of the, of the Lipitor, usually, yeah. usually it's like a 10, 20, 40, and 80. So probably, I don't know if they just misspoke or, but yeah. Oh. And, and again, it depends upon what your total risk is. Uh, so if your risk is high enough, Usually a small dose is not going to be enough to really give you the best benefit. So, you know, in in the case of Lipitor, that's that's probably either a 40 or an 80 milligram. Okay. Once a day. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you for calling. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. On Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, an associate professor of preventive medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. This is Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy here with you, taking your calls. Got some great ones today. And uh, if you missed those and want to go back, you can always go to the archive at mpbonline.org and uh, look at those. Usually we have those up within about a day uh, after they air. And uh, uh, we uh, like to share those with people. It's always good to go back and sort of um, listen to those things that you might have missed. Let's go to Jerome in Corinth. Good morning, Jerome. Hey, how you doing? Good. Thank you for calling. Okay. Uh, 
there's two or three things I need to ask you about. Okay. First of all, uh, let me tell you something. I uh, I used to hear older people when I was 20, 30 years old, they used to say, okay, they knew when it was going to rain, they knew when it was going to snow, they knew when it was going to because the arthritis or something like that in the lake. Right. Now, I'm 60 years old now. Mm-hmm. You know? Now, I'm just developing a concept about what they was talking about. Yep, yep. And that's one of those things that we don't really know all the reasons why, but some people do, you know, have an increase in symptoms. People have, have thought, well, maybe this is because you have pressure differences within those joint spaces. That may be, a you know, a reason why you have that. Uh, but we really don't know why, and there's not much you can do about it. I mean, but a lot of people swear by that. They'll say, hey, my arthritis is acting up. Uh, I really think it's going to rain, and they're right. Uh, but so it probably has something to do with those pressure differentials, particularly a drop in pressure as those fronts come in. All right, say I'll be uh, 63 years old this year. All right, now what's it, what happened because of fluctuating temperature pertaining to this winter in Mississippi, you know, yep. I have developed uh, pains, you know, and put parts of my body, especially the lower part, that uh, especially when it get colder, the colder temperature and the rain. Yep. You know? And and that's probably the same kind of thing. So the coldness, uh, and most people do complain when it gets colder like that. That can just sort of cause some inflammation locally in those tissues. And then rain, same kind of thing that we were talking about before with those pressure changes. Yeah. Every injury, everything that hurt when I was uh, sports, you know, and all stuff like that, Mm -hmm. it came about this year, you know, my left index finger, my left knee, and my right bottom toe injury and stuff like that. You know, it wasn't wasn't unbreakable, but it seemed like this year, it all came about when temperature dropped 30, 30, something like that. You know, every one of those items come about, you yeah. know. Yeah, and Jerome, all I can tell you is um, that is a real thing, and uh, it's it's something bundled up and uh, try to stay hydrated out there. That might help with that. Jerome, I'm going to have to let you go. i got one more caller. I'm going to try to squeeze in here, but I do appreciate you calling. We're going to go to D in Jackson, Mississippi. Good morning, D. Good morning. How are you? Good. I've got about a minute, minute and a half. Okay, I, I am ringing in my ear uh-huh. about three, four times a week, sometimes longer than that. Just a constant little, you know, like a ring. Right. Do you have any dizziness with that? No, I don't. Okay. And how old are you, D? you mind my asking? 59. Okay. So uh, the most common thing, cause of ringing in ears, is probably presbycusis, which is sort of a normal hearing loss. It's usually related to uh, hearing damage. Uh, younger in life, um, there's uh, different things that you can do for that. Sometimes, you know, having an evaluation is pro- of your hearing is probably the first thing that they can identify if you have uh, different areas of hearing loss and different frequencies. So, I would, if you haven't had that done, an audiologist or an ear, nose, and throat doctor, they're probably the first person I would see to try to evaluate that a little bit more. Beyond that, there may be some some more serious things. Probably not if you don't have other symptoms, but that's just another reason to go see an ear, nose, and throat doctor, particularly if it's something that's come up fairly sudden. And they may want to do some further imaging around 
the uh, the inner ear ear area to make sure you don't have something pressing on a nerve there that's causing that. But that's oh, the okay. that's the first steps I would do. Chances are it's like it's presbycusis. It's just a normal sort of hearing loss that we have from previous damage to the to that. And there are some things that they can do for that. Oh, okay. Thank you. All right, D. Thank you for calling. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. Thanks for listening to the original Southern Remedy podcast. You can get your medical question answered by sending an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. For a regular dose of medical information, subscribe to the podcast using your favorite podcasting app. The doctor is always in on the original Southern Remedy. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio, or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app.